Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs and Proverbs chapter number 13. The book of Proverbs and chapter number 13. As we've been watching, marching through the book of Proverbs and hitting some of these great Proverbs, things that we find are very practical help on a daily basis. That the book of Proverbs is the book of wisdom for all believers. And what it does is teach us how to live in wisely on a day-to-day basis. We know that there's a lot of theology in later books where it talks about the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of last things, the doctrine of the church. The book of Proverbs is not meant to teach us those type of doctrines. The book of Proverbs is meant to give us encouragement, little adages, little sayings that could be wrapped up simply and succinctly, concisely, that could be a tremendous help towards us. Now we find one of those secrets, something that when we understand and break down this verse becomes a great practical help in all of our daily dealings and our relationships. And this is found in the book of Proverbs chapter 13. The book of Proverbs chapter 13, and if you wouldn't mind, notice with me, Proverbs 13 and verse 10. Proverbs 13 and verse 10, the Bible says this, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark that first phrase that we find in the book of Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10? Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. And with the Lord's help, we're going to break down this verse and make it very practical and pray that it's a tremendous help to all of us that only by pride cometh contention. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're asking that you give grace and that you would give mercy that you would help us to understand this verse and that we would put our dependence upon you. Help us to have an understanding of what pride is, that we could see its borders, to see what it looks like and to be able to identify it so we could stay away from it, that we could see how dangerous pride is and we could see what a disaster it makes in our relationships and our influence around us. I'm asking that you would give people personal victories. Now, again, because we're talking about pride, this is a subject our flesh does not like. So the best I know how, I'm asking for myself that you would help me to reckon myself to be dead, to be dependent upon you. But not just me, but for the listeners out there as well, that for this time that they would set aside their daydreams, their misgivings, their things that they've got to worry about later, and that for this time, they would put their heart and attention towards you, that they would have a teachable spirit, that they wouldn't let their flesh be involved, but they would listen with an open heart, with an open mind, and with the consideration 
of looking for truth and that you can have just a revival within our own personal lives as we understand this Bible principle. Lord, I'm asking for the impossible because I know our flesh, but I'm dependent upon you that you would do a work that would just change our daily lives that only you can do. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we approach this passage, the first thing I want to do is define the terms. That whenever we do start talking about a subject, it is always helpful to define our terms so we're speaking the same language. And when we define our terms, we understand that the meanings become very more important and understand the subject matter. So if you don't mind, there's three different terms that we want to define before we start putting it all together. The very first term we want to hit is pride. Pride. What is pride? If we were to put a quick definition to it, pride is a lack of dependence on God. Pride is a lack of dependence upon God. In fact, someone said a short definition of pride is, I will. It's a self-dependence. I will. It is a lack of dependence on God. May I show you this in the Bible? Uh, Turn with me really quickly to Habakkuk. We're coming back to Proverbs in a second. But I just want to lay a quick foundation. The book of Habakkuk, which is found in the minor prophet section. The book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2. Now, this is such an important verse, I didn't just want to quote it to you. I want you to see it. And if you haven't already marked it, I would like you to mark it. But Proverbs chapter, or Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2, and notice with me in verse 4. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says this. Behold, the soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but... The just shall live by his faith. Let's take the last phrase. The just shall live by his faith. We understand that faith is being discussed here. Now, most people believe that the opposite of faith is unbelief. But the Bible gives a different definition here. Remember that word but means the opposite of. So if it's speaking about the just shall live by faith, and what is being referred to as the opposite of the previous statement, what is the other statement? Habakkuk 2, verse 4. Behold his soul which is lifted up. That's another way of stating pride. What is the opposite of faith? Pride. What are we speaking about? You are either being dependent upon God or you're being dependent on something else, probably you. That's what pride is. It is a self-dependence. It is not depending on God or simply said, I will. So the Bible says that the just shall live by his faith. The opposite of that, the soul that's uplifted. That's pride. So let's go back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 13. So what we see the opposite of faith is pride. What is pride? It's a lack of dependence on God. You see, we're either trusting in God or we're trusting in something else. Now the pride that we often struggle with is the dependence upon ourself. Now in the context here, the dependence upon ourself is that we're right. That we're in a discussion with someone and we believe we're right. 
In fact, the worst pride is when we know we're right. So imagine, if you don't mind, a conversation. We're talking with someone. They say something that is incorrect. And I know it's incorrect. Now I feel, because of my pride, it is my job and my duty as the master of the universe and the most correct person in the world to show them and to convince them and to make them acknowledge that they're wrong and I'm right. Isn't that how our conversations go? That we spend a lot of time trying to convince and twist and force and work to show I'm right. And you're stupid for thinking that away. We think that we're correct on a topic, on an issue, or an argument. That's pride. And that's how a lot of our arguments and conversations go. Pride is giving ourselves credit for something that God has accomplished. Look at what I've done. Acknowledge me. Pride is taking glory that belongs to God alone and keeping it for ourselves. And this again shows up in a real way in our conversations. I know that I'm right. How come you won't acknowledge that I'm right? What we do is we end up pitting our conversations and putting our self-worth into us being right. And that we always need to feel that we need to show them how right we are. So again, we'll talk more about that in a second. But pride, as we're defining that, is an idea of self-dependence. It's the idea that I am right. I know what I'm talking about. I will. I will. It's all about ourselves and it's not about God. It's pride. Notice as we define our terms some more, it says only by pride cometh contention. A second word we want to define here is contention. Contention. The word contention is struggling together in opposition. Struggling together in opposition, meaning that you are opposed to someone. You are engaged with a opposition. You're struggling together. That is contention. It is strife. It's a fight with another. It is contention. Anytime where that friction is at, that's contention. Whether it's talking to someone and we know that we're right and they're wrong. And now we have contention. Or whether it's an, a biblical authority telling us to go do something and we feel that we're right and the boss is wrong. That's contention. Anytime that we feel like we're opposed to someone, for whatever reason, that is contention. So someone told us something that was inaccurate and now we're standing up against them. Or they're telling us something we don't like and we could feel the heat rising. That's contention. And so again, that's where we live. That's probably a conversation you had this morning. Definitely a conversation you had yesterday or sometime this week that you were in a discussion with someone and in that discussion they said something you didn't like, that you thought was wrong, that was inconsiderate and you feel contention. You're now struggling with them and against them that you have this heat inside of you. That's contention. We're just defining our terms now. There's one more term that we need to define in here, and that is the word only. Only. The Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. 
all fights, all arguments, all strifes, all misunderstandings come from one source, pride. Now, that's an important statement here. Now, if you want to start being contentious with me over that, uh-uh, there's other, no, 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 that's already pride. At least give me a hearing on this, but only by pride. That means every misunderstanding that you've had with someone. Now, <laughs> we'll talk about this more in a second detail, but may I say that that only by pride, that's pride on your part, not their part. Your contention with someone is your pride. Even if you know they're wrong and you're right, it's still pride if you have contention, if there's an argument, if there's a misunderstanding. It, that is contention and is off of your pride. Now, they may have pride on their side, but we can't deal with them. We can only deal with you. Does that make sense? We can't fix other people, which is why they had the pride in the first place. Because you found out you can't fix them because they're wrong. And shaking them around the neck doesn't work. It's not a good way to convince someone. But yet we feel like we have to force them to listen. That is our pride by making us feel like we must twist people's arm to believe like we do. That is pride. By the way, that's the opposite of what God does. All our fights with people is because we're not dying to self. And we're not trusting God. Our dependence isn't on God. Why? Because we believe we're right. And because we're right, we believe it is our duty, our responsibility for them to acknowledge that we are right. So when we define our terms, now let's do this. Let's describe the results. Let's describe the results. Pride always makes situations worse. If there is fighting in your life, fighting in your family, fighting in your business, fighting in your church. It is because of pride. Only by pride cometh forth contention. You see, pride permeates every part of our life. Even someone who thinks that they're pretty humble, all it takes is for someone to say you're not humble and to see that pride go up. Amen. <laughs> that pride enters into almost every aspect of our human interpersonal relationships. I'm right. You're wrong. How can you think this way? What are you thinking? Are you out of your mind? How come you won't listen to me? How come they won't listen to me? How come they ask me to do this? All of those things only by pride cometh forth contention. And it interferes and affects every area of our interpersonal lives. Now, as I stated before, the worst pride is not when we think we're right. The worst pride is when we know we're right. Now we feel like we have to double down and force them to acknowledge how correct we are. Part of it is that we have now tied our personal feelings and our personal value and our self-worth in this idea that we only have value as long as we are correct. Have you ever met someone who refuses to admit that they're wrong no matter what? They double down and they will fight over everything. Oh, that's pride. And it looks silly and foolish when someone never acknowledges that they can be wrong or that there can even be a possibility that they're wrong. And it shouldn't look good on us either. We have to recognize this is why we said only by pride. Your self-worth is not dependent on your correctness. Your self-worth should be dependent on how God sees you. 
How does God see me? And if God is pleased with my actions, I'm good. He is the first goal that I have that God is the one I need to please. But when pride enters in and we have a need to make them see how correct we are, we acknowledge if that you're going to be helped, it's pride. Why is it that you need to make them see that they're right? Why is it that it's so important for you for them to acknowledge that they were wrong? I meant nothing like a husband following a wife all throughout the house till she finally closes the bathroom because he's just trying to get her to say, come on, admit that you're wrong. Admit that you're wrong. Come on. How come? Come on. Come on. And she's just running away from him. Why does that happen? Pride. Both ends, but pride. Why does that happen? Why do you feel the need? You have to badger someone until they finally say, just whatever, fine, you're right. Are you satisfied with that? Do you really think that they, that was a surrender? But we just feel this need all the time. I'm right. Only by pride cometh forth contention. Think of this. Sometimes you might learn how to remain quiet during the conversation. Doesn't mean you have an absence of pride. What happens is that after the conversation, you replay that conversation and you start thinking about what you should have said. And if I said this, this would have shown them. Oh, if I said that, ha, ah, that would have, oh yeah. And if I had the guts, I would have said that. And that would have just, sh- we ever had that? That's still pride. You see, you still have contention. You feel that you're right. And even though you didn't feel the freedom of say it out loud, you still felt inside. You need to prove that you're right to them. And so you use your imagination to play a scenario where you prove to them that you were right. Maybe you do that after an argument. You had an argument and you saw that you weren't going to convince them. So you walk away. But the whole time you're planning on, I should have said this. And if I got this through, that would have showed them. And you see the end result of them in submission. Oh, you were right. Oh, I surrender. How could I've ever thought of anything different or whatever the scenario is in your mind that it plays off only by pride cometh forth contention. He said, you don't have to be in a fist fight and you don't have to be yelling in order to have contention. You can nod your head and smile and still have contention. Only by pride cometh forth contention. As you can see, it does affect every area of our interpersonal relationships. I'm right and they're wrong. Or how dare they yell at me? Don't they see how perfect I am? Why do they point out my flaws? Why do they point something? Why do they single me out? Why do they call me names? What do you mean by that? I mean... We get to the place where we start getting ready to be contentious about everything. Hi, how are you doing today? What do you mean by that? What are you talking about? That's contention. Where does that come from? Pride. Someone could say, that's a nice dress. What's wrong with it? I was just saying it was a nice dress. But by pride, we are ready to have contention. And it's a nice haircut today. Did you do something different? They didn't like my haircut. How did they say something about it? Right? Because of pride, we're immediately in contention when they could have tried to be nice. Now, they could have been snarky, but so what? 
it's still by your pride that you have contention. No matter what their intention or motive is, how we receive it, how we deal with it is pride, which causeth contention. Pride can also be blinding. The statement that only by pride cometh contention, people will often assume that it's the adversary's pride. That's the problem. You know, the only reason why we had a fight is because of them. No, you had something to do with that fight. You were engaged in it. You were a part of it. You felt like they had, even in the aftermath, you're saying that if they would acknowledge you were right, you wouldn't have been in a discussion. That's pride. That's pride. As long as you have heat and as long as there's friction, it is your pride that is the problem. Now, if we start discussing this and start explaining this and start describing this, there should be an idea that, listen, almost all of my conversations are this way. If you're going to be honest, all of my conversations, you know, I get offended so easy. Or maybe I don't get offended, but I feel like everyone's against me, or I feel like no one likes me, or I feel we start getting this idea where every conversation, every we have conflict only by pride. Hopefully at this time you start also thinking about maybe I have a problem and you start thinking about I don't know what to do differently. It's at these times where our pride is raging that one thing is clear. You are not dead to self. You are not dead to self. Your flesh lives. What does that mean? You're not dependent on God. You are dependent on yourself. You want yourself to be exalted. You want yourself to be recognized. You want yourself to be honored. You want yourself to be right. You want people to see how great you are. All of that is part of pride. Whether it's a conversation with our wife or a conversation with your boss or the conversation with YouTube with the people that can't hear you, but you're mad at them anyways. That person on YouTube, I just, why don't they understand? Listen, the pride is definitely not on their part on that case. That's a you problem. I can't believe that newscaster. I can't believe that politician. I can't believe that commercial. Only by pride cometh forth contention. We start to realize that we've got a pride problem. It's everywhere. Everything that we deal And it's all because of our flesh. It's not dead. We're not dependent on God. We're trusting in ourselves. We're depending on ourselves. We're trying to protect and cater ourselves. It is us, us, that is the problem. It is me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. This is why the Bible says, only by pride cometh forth contention. The contention does not stop. And the answer is not you convince everyone in the world how great you are and how right you are. That's not where the contention stops. You're going to be a very contentious, cantankerous person if that's your goal is to finally get everyone to see from your point of view. You know, there's nothing in the world that says everyone has to believe like you. Do you know there's nothing in this world that says that everyone has to line up with your specific point of view and that everyone has to have your uh, favorite color? Or that everyone has to acknowledge that your favorite ice cream is the only ice cream that should ever be made. And yet we fight and discuss over little things. I mean, think about the wars that have been gone over over pineapple over pizza. 
you know, households have been broken up and divided and arms have gone. Who cares? It's just a topping. But yet we draw down, we anchor down, and we're going to go to war to show that we're right and we need to convince them. Only by pride cometh forth contention. Who cares what they put on their pizza? They could do whatever they want. It's their pizza. Why do we feel like we have to go through all of the the pizzas of the world and inspect them on their toppings and let them know that they can only have this topping and that's the only thing that's allowed? And we may not say that, but we act like that from time to time. I mean, just look at... um, Reddit post or whatever else on whole things about how we should ban pepperoni or pineapple from ever being a pizza ever again. And who cares? But you see, there's an idea of pride that's now been involved and we're going to war. I mean, you think about the fights that you have with your wife or other people that are over nothing. If you could forgive a personal illustration, my wife were freshly married. I think one month, two months. And we were invited to go to a friend's house to play games. And we played an Uno game. And we were playing Dirty Uno, uh, meaning that uh, if you put a draw four down, they could put a draw four, now it's a draw eight. And so that means those games can last forever because you do whatever you can not to let them go out. I mean, you plan and talk and whatnot. It was a two-hour game. And so the, fa- the couple thought it would be cool to egg us on and to, you know, get that pride going and you can't let her win and you can't let him win and started building up where there's contention over the stupid Uno game. And it was getting so bad that, you know, divorce was being spoken of. We just got married two months ago and we're driving home and no one wanted to talk to each other. You know, Uno game. Finally, we said, this is stupid. Why is this such a big deal? Why are we letting this be... Pride. Now, I know I'm not the only sinner in the room. You guys have had some of the stupidest arguments with people over some of the stupidest things. Over, you know, the pronunciation of tomato or tomato. Over, is this sun-dried red or is this just a different color pink? You know, we we have these big fights over things that really don't matter. And sometimes (laughs) uh, the, the things just draw and we draw down and we anchor down and we're going to go to war over the silliest things. Why? Because of pride. Only by pride cometh forth contention. Now, if we're going to be helped, we have to understand the source. It's my pride. Why is it that I'm so aggravated with my wife? Is it just because of this infraction? Or do I feel like it's an offense to me? This becomes a deal that we start to understand. How are we going to help? Which brings me to this. Dealing with pride. Dealing with pride. Part of it is to acknowledge that first of all. It's my pride. If it's going to be fixed, I have to learn that it's my pride. And now that I know it's my pride, how do I deal with it? How do I work with it so I don't have to go to war with everybody? Uh, you know, we, we have these scenarios and sometimes we don't think about it. Let's do a scenario. Some of you may go out to eat after church. 
And you go out as a group. And at the end of the meal comes the biggest pride fest ever seen. Who's going to pay for the check? I'm going to pay for the check. Where are you? Put this down. And it becomes a big war over who's going to pay the check. And it becomes an idea of pride. I'm going to pay the check. No one's going to pay for me. And you go to war and you have a great meal and then it's all ruined because now you're going to war over something stupid. Why is it such a big deal? You know, sometimes people want to be a blessing and you're robbing them from a blessing. You know, if I feel so determined that I want to take care of it, why not address it at the beginning of the meal? Hey, I invited you here because I invited you here. I'm going to take care of it over with. You know, instead of go to war afterwards, why not just let's discuss things and just nail it down. Then we can have a peaceful meal and not have a problem afterwards. The solution to pride and contention is found with the rest of the verse. What is the rest of the verse? Notice with me, Proverbs 13, verse 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Much of our pride problem comes from the place where we're responding to the information we have. And most of the time, it's incomplete information. Sometimes we don't stop and actually listen to what the person's saying. Have you ever been in an argument where you're both saying the same thing, but because you're saying it in a different way, you assume that they're wrong? But you're saying the same thing. And an outside observer says, but you you both are saying the same thing. But because you're so dug down, you're not listening. You just say, because they said it in a different way. Because they used a different term. Because they had a different vocabulary. That you're going to war over it. We do that all the time because we think we're right, they're wrong, and we're not listening. Part of the problem in pride is that we stop listening. We don't even consider what they have to say. Let's just say that someone decided to have a conversation with us and they said, Christianity is wrong. All right? So now we want to go to war with them. How dare you say that? Christianity's right. What are you, some type of infidel? Now we're ready to go to war with them. And that conversation could be better served as we actually listened to them. Listen to them. But I shouldn't have to listen to someone that's wrong. Well, there's a case to be dealt with the idea. Can you trust God to work in someone's life even if they're wrong? If you could forgive a personal illustration. In Phoenix, we were as a church going street preaching. And we had a a missionary who was with us who was preaching. And my job was to be passing out tracts and working the crowd and answering questions and whatnot. And I noticed that as we were uh, (coughs) working the crowd and as the preacher was preaching, there was a guy who was across the street leaning on another building, just dressed in black, uh, smoking a cigarette, just watching everything that was going on. And after a while, he put his cigarette out and um, came over and was interested. So I met him and I said, so what do you think of such things? And he says, it's kind of interesting. I don't think I've seen anything like this before. And I said, "Um, well, if you don't mind, can I ask you a quick spiritual question? He said, no problem. I said, are you 100% sure if you die today, are you 100% sure you'd be going to heaven? And he goes, 
yeah, I'm pretty sure. I said, wonderful. There's not a lot of people who know that they're going to heaven for sure. It's glad to meet someone like that. If you don't mind, let me rephrase my question. If Jesus himself met you outside the gates of heaven and said, why should I let you in? What would you tell him? He says, quite simply, I am <coughs> Cardinal Archduke uh, Ferdinand, blah, blah, blah. And he went on for 30 seconds. By the way, 30 seconds is a long time to give a name. I mean, he had title after title after accolade after accolade. And when he was done, I said, wow. So if you went to heaven and told him that, they would let you in. He says, they'd know exactly who I am. So immediately, just taking a pause from the story, we've now evaluated someone. Is he at the place where I could get an argument and tell him that he's wrong? Not at all. And so I could have a big blow down argument in the middle of the streets of Phoenix, or we could do something else. So going back to the story, I said, well, I'm a young preacher and I was much younger back then. I said, obviously you've been in this a long time. If I was to ask you how you can know for sure to go to heaven, or if I came up to you and say, how can I know that I'm going to heaven? You said, you know, for sure you're going to heaven. How can I know for sure? Could you tell me? He says, I'll be glad to help you out. And he began to go through the seven sacraments of the Catholic church that you have to be participate in mass. You have to do this. And he went through each of the seven ones. When he was done, <laughs> I said, so if I do all of that, I'll know for sure I'm going to heaven. He says, you'll be very close. Now, what I've done is I've listened to him. Now, did I know he was wrong? Yeah, but I listened to him anyways. It was important for him to feel like he was being heard. Does that make sense? Then I turned around and said, well, obviously you've been in this for a while and I'm still starting off. Notice I'm now speaking up to him, not speaking down to him. I said, do you mind if I tell you what I tell other people, how they can know for sure they're going to heaven and you evaluate me and tell them what you, what you think. So now I'm not telling him is wrong. I'm asking him to consider what I'm saying and give me some pointers. So now he's going to be listening because he's now thinking as an instructor, right? He's thinking about what I'm saying. So then I went through the Romans road and explained that heaven's a perfect place, but none of us are perfect people. And using logic, you can't set something that's not perfect into a perfect place. It would ruin it. That's why the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. I explained to him that because of the wages of sin is death, that because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God. And when we die, there's only two places to go, a wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. But Jesus died on, came from the glories of heaven, who was God, robed himself in flesh, and died on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. Of course, I'm speaking fast. I took my time with him. It was about 30 minutes. Took our time and explained to him the Romans road and explained that all we had to do was accept Jesus as our savior because he rose again and gave us uh, peace forevermore because of what he did on Calvary. When I was done, I said, so do you believe what I told you was simple? He says, oh, that was very simple. Do you believe what I told you was biblical? He said, that was straight from the Bible. Do you believe what I told you was true? And he says, yes. And I said, so being simple, biblical, and true, would you be willing to accept Jesus as your savior? He immediately began to shake. And he began to just tremble quite a bit. 
And he says, oh man, I've got to reevaluate everything. Now that you told me this, I had just, oh, I'm going to have to change what everybody else is preaching. I'm going to have to tell the, the bishops under me that they need to change it. I just, and he just started walking away, just still shaking and just talking to himself. And <laughs> Okay. What happened? Decided not to go to war with him. Decided not to go to fight with him. Decided to try to listen to what he said and then get to the place where he would listen to me without going to war, without fighting, and without pointing a finger and saying, you're wrong! And everything you believe is wrong. Not put him on the defensive. I personally believe, and though I didn't see it, I believe he got saved. I believe he went back to his office, thought about life. I never know, never came back with him. I'll know when I get to heaven. But if not, still, it was a peaceful exchange instead of a war in the middle of the Phoenix, which I think that he may have been looking for in the very beginning. He, he had taken off his collar before he came to see us, so that way he didn't, uh, you know, let us know that he was Catholic. Sometimes, even if you know that they're wrong, to get them to say, why do you believe that? Why, why is this so important to you? I can tell that you're, you're pretty passionate about this. Can you explain why you think this away? Get to the place where you're listening to them instead of trying to go to war, instead of trying to fight them and to get them to start speaking to you. Maybe I'll give another illustration if you could forgive a personal illustration again. I was working with a police officer back in um, uh, 2001, 2002. And um, I just got through doing a creation seminar. I debated a, um, an evolutionist and he was present with it. And he says, you know, the one thing about creation and the way that you did things is, you know, I don't think there's enough evidence. Okay, that's no problem. I said, so I like to learn what other people believe. What do you believe happens to you if you were to die? He says, well, I'm so glad you asked. I've never said it out loud before, but I believe that there's a raindrop theory. And he says, you know how every raindrop inside has a dust nuclei to make it heavy enough to fall? Yeah, yeah. He says, I believe our conscience is that dust nuclei and that our life is that raindrop. And that what happens is that we come down to the sky and uh, we uh, fall down and then that dust nuclei goes into the bottom of the river and that bottom of the river of life, that's God. His, God, his consciousness is growing more and more as we start adding to it. And then what happens is that because of evaporation, the water goes back to the sky and we're reincarnated. We get a brand new life with brand new uh, things to learn and that we fall back to the sky and that the conscience of God is always growing. And I said, well, that's pretty amazing. Now, before you had told me that you didn't think I had enough evidence, I said, may I ask you what evidence you have of yours? And he just looked at me. He says, I've never considered that before. He thought about this for two weeks. And then later on, I was driving on the base and he saw me. He was in his police car, turned on his lights, swung around, pulled me over, jumped inside of my vehicle, started crying and said, I need to get saved. Can you show me how? Praise the Lord. Wonderful. What happened? We listened. Was he clearly wrong? Yeah, but I didn't tell him he was wrong. I listened to him, considered what he had to say, and he was able to consider his own view for himself. And he evaluated that he was wrong, and he wanted to know what the Bible had to say about this. 
You see, when we start working with people and stop feeling that we have to force them to believe like we do and actually talk with someone and listen to them, the Bible says that with the well-advised is wisdom. If we can listen to what they have to say, we could pick up knowledge. We could pick up why it's so important. We could see their point of view of why they think that away. And sometimes giving them that permission to say it out loud, they'll draw their own conclusion. Or when they start explaining themselves, we understand, oh, we mean the same thing. But getting them to explain, getting the knowledge and the information out. A well-advised man is knowledgeable wise and prudent. He asks and receives advice for he knows that there's safety and multiple counselors. We just had that message. He's slow to speak, knows, knowing that haste exalts folly and does not produce righteousness. Let's just quickly look at some of these verses. Look with me in Proverbs 14. It says that with well-advised is wisdom. So let's look and see if we can get some wisdom. We want to be able to deal with people properly. And all of us have figured out that just pointing our finger and saying you're wrong and you're stupid is not the way to convince them. So how do we speak with people in a way that we gain influence? How do we deal with people even if we think they're wrong or we know that they're wrong? How do we settle arguments? How do we work with things? How do we get influence with people where people want to talk with us? Again, part of our problem today is that nobody knows how to debate anymore. They know how to tell people that they're stupid and how dare you think this way, but we lost this idea of discussion of facts because none of us, which includes us, know how to listen anymore. As soon as we feel like someone has a different point of view, we cut off all listening. And now it's just war and we know that no Facebook debate has ever won an argument or changed someone's mind. I don't know anyone. You may have, but I've never met anybody who said, Woo, I saw a post on Facebook. It changed my entire life. My entire outlook is because I saw a Facebook pie. I saw a meme. All right? So Facebook does not change people's minds. In fact, it doubles down our pride. And now we're pretty brave behind a computer when we're not talking to them face to face. Notice with me, if you don't mind, Proverbs 14. And notice with me in verse 29. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. But he that is of a hasty spirit exalteth folly. So think about this. Every one of us have buttons that can be pushed. And we can get pretty angry with just one word or one phrase. We're ready to go. It says he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. I'm willing to listen to this person out even though I think they have a different point of view with me. I can listen to them. I could try to see what they're coming from. I can ask provoking questions, provocative questions to see if we can get more information between us. But as soon as I get angry, where does that anger come from? Only by pride cometh contention. As soon as I'm angry, that is a sign evidence that pride is entered in. Pride is engaged. I'm not dead to self. 
He that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly or foolishness. You're promoting this. It doesn't matter how wrong they are if your spirit is provoking more foolishness. Notice this. He ends conflicts by passing over offenses. Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19. The discretion of a man defer... uh, Verse number 11. Proverbs 19 verse 11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is a glory to pass over a transgression. Uh, transgression. The word discretion carries the idea of knowing when to tell people and when to tell people. You know what? I don't have to go, you know what that person believes? I don't have to go run them over. I can, <coughs> I can defer my anger with the discretion. And it's a glory to pass over a transgression. Meaning, so what? They can believe whatever they want. It doesn't affect me. He could end conflicts by passing over offenses. I don't have to be offended over them. Also this, I can flee angry men. Turn with me to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, notice with me verse 24. Proverbs 22, verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go to, lest thou shalt learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. You know, there are some people that are already set in their ways and they're angry. Why waste my time? You know, there are some people that hate Christians. I don't need to go up to them and provoke them knowing that I'm not going to change their mind. Why get in that conversation? Why get in that fight? Why provoke that bear? Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29, and notice with me, verse 2. Proverbs 29, verse 2. An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Listen, if they're going to be angry, there's no convincing them. Let's walk away. Let's stop. As soon as we can see that angers, pride's all involved, let's just stop the conversation. No big deal. Let's walk away from it. Notice with me, if you don't mind, Proverbs 15. The words that we use do matter. Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, notice with me, verse 1. Proverbs 15 and verse 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. Notice that phrase, soft answer turneth away wrath. You know, we could be gentle with someone. If you could forgive another personal illustration. Several years ago when we were passing out John and Romans, um, I got an angry call. I happened to be with a pastor at the time. We happened to be passing out John and Romans. We had just passed out one. Guy got it on his door and called and yelled, Hey, why are you leaving stuff on the door? This is stupid. Why are you doing And I said, I'm sorry that you're angry, sir. Um, (laughs) um, We could tell that this has definitely made you upset. Well, I'm a preacher. I love to pray with people. Can I pray with you? And he says, oh, and he gave me a prayer request. And it was a serious prayer request. Well, can I pray with you right now? And at the end of it, he says, you know what? Thank you so much for praying with me. And thank you so much for calling me. And uh, when we hung up the phone, the preacher looked at me and says, wow, you got a guy who called and was angry because of uh, leaving a John of Romans thanking you at the end of the phone conversation? 
Why? Software turneth away anger. Just because they want to be engaged, we don't have to get back into the fight. They could be full of pride, but we don't have to be. We could be dead to self and just say, all right, what can I do to be a blessing? How can I be a help in this situation? We know that in Matthew chapter 5, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed be the peace makers, not peacekeepers. Peacekeepers has the idea that we're trying to keep a status quo. Peacemakers is someone on purpose who goes, makes peace with someone. What can we do to make this right? What can we do to stop the argument? What can we do to settle this? May I give an example of how it is done? Turn with me, if you don't mind, to 1 Corinthians. You guys have listened patiently. We're almost done. But this is an important principle right here. This whole message goes to this right here. How is it that we could stop the strife? How is it that we could settle arguments? How is it that we could be a peacemaker? 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Now in the context, we know that the Corinthian church is full of mistakes, full of errors, full of problems. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we have Christians taking other Christians to court. And Paul's upset, says, can't you settle this? Why do you have to go to an outside source when God has given you all the wisdom you need to settle dispute, to settle an argument? Why is it that you have to go to an outside source and tell the world that we can't settle our own issues? When we have the spirit of God, we have God directed, we have the principles of the Bible, we have Proverbs. Why is it that we have to go to take others to... to, to um, to court. And by the way, he puts a prohibition for that. He says, listen, the most, the person in the church who is the less intelligent, go to them. They should be able to settle it with the principles found in the Bible. But he says, let me give you a principle here of how to settle things. Notice if you don't mind. Uh, so verses uh, one through six is talking about taking your brother to war uh, there. But notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse seven and eight, we'll give you the answer. Now, therefore, so first Corinthians six, seven and eight. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one to another. Or you take each other to court. Why do you not rather take wrong. Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, you do wrong and defraud and that your brother. Notice if you don't mind, there is a word, I a phrase I want you to highlight in verse number seven. Notice the phrase, take wrong. Now, I want you to take a pen, pencil, something, and I want you to take a piece of paper, and I want you to write down this statement. Take the wrong. Take the wrong. All right, listen, we're seeing how well you obey. Take a pen and piece of paper, pen, find something. I'm trying to help you in your marriages. I'm trying to help you in your relationships. Take the wrong. What does that mean? Let him be right. Who cares? You be wrong, but I'm not wrong. That's pride. Who cares? Take the wrong. Take the wrong. Show in my house. Not really. I'm 
giving illustration. My house, the biggest fight is which way the toilet paper goes. Does it go to the front or does it go to the back? And we go to war and we fight. And I go in there and find the toilet paper ripped the wrong way. I fix it the other one. And I say, put a note, leave it this way. And I go back and it's switched over. <laughs> Take the wrong. Let her be right. But she's not right. Take the wrong. Take the wrong. You'll be surprised how easily arguments are settled when you say, I'm sorry that this went away. What can I do to make this right? Because they're ready to fight. When, you're not, when you don't fight back with them, they don't know what to do. Take the wrong. I'm sorry that this upset you. What can I do to make this right? How can we fix this? What can I do to be a blessing to you right now? I want to fight with you. Okay, well, how can I be a blessing? Fight with me. You, they may not say that, but they're, they're, they're running out of gas. Take the wrong. So what? You know, there are some people that will never convince. By the way, it's not our job to convince them. It's God's job. All we are is messenger boys, messenger women. So what? If they don't want to believe going to church, so what? Let them be wrong. But you don't understand... Let them be wrong. If they want to believe different than you, so what? Let them be wrong. What is the harm of them being wrong? I meant you could fight them and make the, twist their arm and say, listen, admit that I'm right. But did you really convince them? And are they ever going to listen ever again? Take the wrong. Can you trust God to work in their hearts? Can you trust God to work in their lives? Take the wrong. Now, this is good advice. You don't have to be saved and this advice can still be a help. Anyone who applies this, take the wrong. Take the wrong. Let them be wrong. Who cares? If they want to have pepper or pineapple on their pizza, take the wrong. So what? They want to have the toilet paper one way. Take the wrong. Don't get in the fight. Take the wrong. When do we engage? When they're trying to take away my Bible, then we say, listen, you're not taking away my Bible. But if they want to say, I don't believe the Bible, okay, take the wrong. You'll save a lot of arguments. If they're already determined that no matter what you say is going to be right, then why engage in them? If it's not a discussion, if it's not an exchange of ideas, take the wrong. Be a peacemaker. Don't stir up the pot. What can I do to be a blessing? How can we end this conversation this way? You know, it's amazing just how simple that becomes. For example, I get missionaries who call me all the time. And we can't support every single missionary, nor can we have a missionary come every week. I'll never get any of the preaching done. We like missionaries, but I can't take them all. And so we know that the missionaries are looking for support, and I already have my questions and what I do with them. But almost every time at the very end of it, if I have to tell them, no, I'm sorry, I can't, but I feel like I haven't been much of a blessing to you. May I ask, what can I do to pray for you? Can I take some time to pray for you now? And the missionaries will often say, normally people are so mean. Pastors hang up the phone or they just ignore my calls. And even though you told me, no, you prayed with me. That means all the world. Wonderful. Being a peacemaker. What can I do to make this right? What can I do to establish peace between us? 
We don't have to go to war over everything. And yet that's what most of our lives contain. Going to war, going to fight, children fighting with kids, uh, parents, parents fighting with each other, people fighting with their neighbors, people fighting with the internet. We're just in a constant battle. Kids fighting with kids. Imagine how peaceful the homes would be if some of the kids learn how to take the wrong. I know it's my toy, but you got it. Go ahead. Ever seen a kid do that? <laughs> take the wrong. This is a principle that if you learn, you will have a peaceable, enjoyable life. It doesn't mean you're without enemies, but it might as well be because you've learned how to dwell in peace with all men. Take the wrong. I don't have to go to war with people. Now, as a reminder, you're going to be tested on this almost immediately. Some of you are going to go out to lunch and you're going to have that discussion about meals. Maybe you'll go home and see what the wife made and go, you, this is what you made and you want to get in, get in a fight over this. Take the wrong. This is what she made for me. Praise the Lord. What can I do to be a blessing? Maybe you go to work tomorrow and you've got the boss who wants to point out that you did something wrong and you're ready just to take the wrong. Yes. Okay. I'll try to get it done that way. What can I do to be a blessing? Take the wrong. Take the wrong. So many relationships will be healed. Take the wrong. Take the wrong. You can trust God to work in that person's life. You see, we're not surrendering. We're letting someone who could more capable take care of them. Take the wrong. Only by pride cometh forth contention. Every fight, every strife, every misunderstanding is because of our pride. The solution to that is die to self, trust God, take the wrong. Be a peacemaker. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.